We're in this series, uh, Presence, Formation, and Witness. And we were talking a few weeks ago about presence, um, as in how we are made for God's presence, how uh, we are to be pursuing God's presence. We're designed to be uh, pursuing his presence, and we are carriers of his presence. We are children of light. We are called to walk in the light. We've been brought into the light. And then we, we shifted to formation, and uh, we began focusing on that wonderful problem of sin and the nature of sin and the characteristics of it and how it seeks to be present in our lives. Now, maybe some of you are going, like, why is it important to talk about sin right on the heels of presence? And how do those two connect? Well, the consequence of sin was and is the removal of God's presence. And so that's how those two things, because sin grieves the Holy Spirit, it creates separation in our relationship with God, and so the connection between sin and the presence of God actually is incredibly important in our lives. And so dealing with the problem of sin in our lives, and it's an ongoing problem, I don't know about you, but for me it's an ongoing problem that I have to consistently be dealing with, is crucial for me and for us to be living in the presence of God. If you want to live in the presence of God, you want to experience the presence of God, we've got to be dealing with our sin. And so, when we speak of formation, and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, it is the means to increase the presence of God in our lives. That's actually what the purpose of formation is. It's not just because we want to do a bunch of things we want more of God's presence in our lives. And so the question, again, isn't as much about what am I doing in my life as in always assessing what I'm doing, justifying what I'm doing. Is it good enough? The question that I think I want to put before you to keep asking yourself is, of what I'm doing, what am I becoming by what I'm doing? What am I being formed into by how I'm living? Because we're all being spiritually formed. Every single one of you. Kids, all of us. You are being spiritually formed. Why? You're a spiritual being. All of us. So we're being formed. Regardless of whether we might agree with that, our practices are forming us. Now, honestly, right now, this is like, this is a huge tension in my life. Like, I feel this tension in my life. I, I'm wrestling with this because there's an awareness of this truth that is increasingly happening in myself through a lot of different various means, reading, listening, praying, being with the Lord. And it's leading me to this uncomfortable place of going, there's stuff that I've got to deal with, and yet these are necessary processes in my life if I'm going to be formed into more and more being like Jesus. It's the stuff we've got to walk through. And my, my desire, my, my ache, is that I long to live more in the presence of the Father. And I, and I want to put that to you, that I, I want to, you know, stir that desire in us, that we would long, ache to live 
in the presence of the Father more and more and more. There'd just this be continual experience of I'm living in the presence of my Heavenly Father. Constant awareness of Him. And I would caution us then in that regard to not think of spiritual formation. When we talk about being formed into and being like Jesus and, and what we're doing in our lives in this regard, don't think of this as an option. As in, I can get by with the base model if I choose to. I don't really need the extras in the super-duper model. That's just for those like super-duper sort of Christians. I, I caution you against that. This is what Dallas Willard says. I, I'm, I've been using a lot of Dallas Willard lately. I recognize that. I love a lot of his stuff. This is what he says. Spiritual formation is not something that may or may not be added to the gift of eternal life as an option. Rather, it is the path that the eternal kind of life from above naturally takes. It is the path that one must be on as if, is on if his or hers is to be an eternal kind of life. I read that and I thought that reminded me of Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, where it talks about seek the things that are above where Christ is. Keep your mind on things that are above. That's the eternal kind of life. And so what spiritual formation, it's, what it's getting at is that the fact that, again, all of our characters are being formed they have been formed up to this point in our lives. All of us have been formed. There's all these things that we're experiencing, all the things that we've encountered. And all of this involves our will. So I want to talk today about following the way of Jesus. And I want to I spend some intentional time on focusing on what we're talking about when we talk about following the way of Jesus. Because... The only way that I can describe this is that this is becoming a huge shift in my life, personally. I, I just, I feel personally, outside of my roles, my responsibilities, whatever you want to call it in ministry, personally, this is a huge shift in my life. An ongoing, and, and, and it's assessing every part of me. And I feel like there's a deep work of the Holy Spirit that, I, that I've been walking through, and, and it's difficult, very difficult, because it's asking really hard, pervasive, in, invasive, I should say, questions of myself. And, it's, and I think that it's, it's a fundamental shift in how I'm seeing discipleship. And I've, I've, I've lived in, and kind of been in a church environment now for three decades where discipleship's been talked about a lot. Like, I, I didn't grow up in a church environment where it wasn't talked about. I think from the time I was a teenager, that was a very, that was a subject we talked a lot about. So, and I'll say this, I think when we talk about following the way of Jesus, I think this is massive potential for the church if we embrace it. Massive, massive potential for your life if you embrace this. Because I, I think that my conviction is that as a whole, the church, as a, as a, as a whole, not just you know, us and, and what's going on here. We need a radical reorientation when it comes to what it means to follow the ways of Jesus in this culture. And, and I, f I actually find myself far less inclined now, like I still do it, but I find myself far less inclined to actually use the term Christian because 
that there's so many attachments to that. And I don't know, like you go, well, are, Paul, that's just semantics. Like following the way of Jesus, Christian, like, aren't, yeah, okay, it, like it could be semantics. But I think there's an aspect of that that rings true to me. That talking about following the way of Jesus, especially in this culture and even in this specific region, is something that is really important. So, I want to open up, invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Let's, uh, let's read. We're just going to read a few verses here, starting at verse 34. It'll be on the screen behind me, too. Jesus said here, no, it doesn't start with him speaking, sorry. It says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man or a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Let's, uh, let's just pray before we dig into this a little bit more. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that it is life-giving. It reveals the depths of our hearts, and it reveals the depth of your heart and your desire for us to be formed into the image of your Son. Jesus, thank you for your words in Scripture. Thank you that they are life to us, and we receive them as such this morning. Amen. So this, this first, that, those words, that, there's a lot, like just in those few verses, there's a lot to take in there, right? Do you feel like there's a lot to take in just in the little bit that Jesus said there? And I, I would say this, the first thing to see there is that this is an invitation. This is an invitation from Jesus to follow. But we need to understand the, the context in which these words were spoken by Jesus, because not because they make them less relevant when we understand what he's saying in first century you know, Israel and all that, but rather it shifts, I, I would say this, it shifts our 21st century thinking in the church when we begin to unpack what Jesus is saying here and in other places in the gospel. Again, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Do you ask yourself that? What does it mean to be a follower of him? When he says, follow me, what does that mean? Now, you go, that, that's just a cliche. Like, that sounds a bit cliche. Yeah, it can. Actually, that's why looking at this is actually so necessary for us. Because this can be challenging in a culture that's obsessed with self-determination or blinded to how serious, in a culture like this, how serious of a problem that represents for living for Jesus. The idea that I can be whatever I want to be, I can identify however I want to identify myself, it doesn't matter, I'm going to live my life and have self-autonomy. That presents a huge problem for following Jesus when we look at what he's saying here. Because this is a call to follow me, he says. Jesus is addressed 
in the Gospels, 60 times he's addressed as teacher. The, the bulk of the, when he's addressed by someone, the bulk of the time they address him as teacher. He was a rabbi. He was seen as a rabbi by the people and the crowds around him. Now that's significant because the disciples that he had then were called Talmudin in Hebrew. They were the Talmudin of Jesus as a rabbi. And the, you know, we, we, we say disciple, but the best English word to really dig into what Talmudin means would be apprentice or to be learning under. It's not a follower as we would understand it in the 21st century now of social media where you follow whoever you want to follow and I'm a follower of so-and-so. No, this was not that. So I want to, I want to give a very quick history lesson for us here on what discipleship looked like being a Talmudine in first century Judaism because this is important. So just bear with me as we kind of nerd out a little bit here. First level... If, when, for every sort of child, every young person in first century uh, Israel, they would go into what was called the house of the book. It was the first level of learning. Almost all Jewish children went through it. And in that, they memorized all five books of the Torah. Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. They memorized all of that by the time they were 12 years old. Like, think about the first five books of the Bible, just reading through that. They memorized all of that. Now, after that, if you were good enough, and you were sort of the, the best of the best, then you were invited into the second level, which was Belt Tamild, uh, which was the house of learning. And that was the second level, and in that level, you would then memorize all of the Old Testament. So, like, just think about that. Just even a visual, like all of this, memorized. How many of us have a hard enough time just reading through this once a year? And, and they're memorizing all of that. So then there was another level. That wasn't the last level. Then there was a third level. So if you came out of that and you were like really, really good, then you were invited into third level. And that was like those who would go to Harvard and Yale in our society. Like, you've got to have, like, a ridiculous GPA if you're getting into the third level. And it's a long interview process to get accepted into this third level and to prove yourself, if you will. And if accepted, after you went through all of this with a rabbi, a rabbi would invite you into the interview process, then they would say to you, come and follow me. That was the invitation than to train under that rabbi. And there was very clear goals in that. The first goal to, in that training was to be with your rabbi. That's it. Just be with your rabbi. Like 24-7, wherever your rabbi goes, whatever your rabbi does, whatever, you're with him 24-7. You're learning to be like him. The second goal then was to become like your rabbi. So be with him, become like him. Jesus said, when Jesus says, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, right? We, how many of you know that? Like, really famous. Kids, how many of you know that line, that verse? Come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. We think that's a really cute play on words that Jesus is making, right? Like, all oh, right, like Peter, and they, he was a fisherman, 
So Peter, they, they, they were, he was just, that's why he was saying that to Andrew and Peter. They were fishing. Oh, you're going to fish for men now. No, it actually wasn't that. That a fisher of men was actually a well-known Hebrew idiom at the time for teacher. It was like a celebrity rabbi, a really famous, well-known rabbi would be known as a fisher of men. Why? Because he would capture your mind and your imagination. So here's, here's the first significant shift in following the way of Jesus. Because currently, what are we living in? A culture of just extreme individualism. Be true to yourself. Be unique. Set your own concept of identity. Whatever feels right to you, whatever looks good. First century Judaism wasn't that. First century Judaism was be exactly like your rabbi. So Jesus says, when he says, come and follow me, what he's saying is, be like me, be with me, learn to become exactly like me. I, I think that that's a huge shift for us in this culture, to, to even grasp the depth of what Jesus is saying. When he says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel or the good news, he says, we'll find it. When he says that, we have to understand that invitation in the context of being a Talmudin, of being a disciple. Jesus is saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. When he says that, he's saying, you're going to find all of it in me. Like joy to the max, but to have this, what he's saying is to have all of this means to be apprenticing to my way. There isn't shortcuts in this. Like you can determine what you want and what you don't want, and then you'll get it because you will it. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. You're, you're leaving behind the pursuit of other things. He's saying your primary pursuit is to be with me and to become like me. If you seek to find your identity and purpose apart from me, he's saying you're going to suffer loss. But in me, he's saying you're going to have life. So understood within this concept of being a Talmudin is that there is commitment to this process for us. Come, follow, be with me. So this is a very specific context of following Jesus in Scripture. How do we be faithful to this and not what 21st century Christianity might propose to us? What, that, that's a really challenging question. Verses 34 and 35 are an invitation to apprentice to Jesus. When he says, come and follow me, follow, lay down your life, that's an invitation to apprentice, not to be a Christian. What I mean by that is Christian, the word Christian is used all of three times in the New Testament. Three times. And it wasn't even that the followers of Jesus gave them that title. That was actually put on them. They didn't necessarily even want that. Apprentice, disciple, Talmudin 
is used 268 times. Family is actually the second most used word to identify those in Christ. You're in the family of God. So what, what does Christian mean in large parts of Western society right now? Because Christian, the term Christian, is like all over the map now. Maybe, you know, it means you go to church once in a while. That's depending, you know, what you feel like. You, you, you know, you kind of believe in the basic, basic Christian beliefs. You might believe, know about Jesus. You live a moral, ethical life. You follow sort of the Christian ethics in, in a sense. But it's, it's actually more about Jesus following you around. He provides the pick-me-up for you when you need it, kind of answering some prayers when you want to throw those up to him. You know, maybe he'll answer some of those. Gives you some security. I kind of feel good. That's for, for a large swath of Western Christianity. That's what it means. There's, there's been some large-scale surveys done on this, and they're, they're U.S.-based, so... You know, again, sometimes we can't always, how do we apply those to Canada? But again, we're very influenced by all of this. 76% in the West identify as Christians. 76%. You look around the Western world, how's, how's it going being a Christian nation? 76%. But when they dig a little bit deeper, and I don't know how they quantify this totally, like it's, maybe it's difficult to do that, but they say, 8% are actually following the way of Jesus. When you start to sort of have some more criteria that you ask people about. 8%. So whatever, regardless how you kind of feel about those statistics and how you break them down, there's a big gap. There's a huge gap. Huge gap. Like millions and millions and millions of people. You don't have to look hard to see that or hear that in the church today, that there's a, bat, a big, big gap. But the invitation, Jesus says, is to follow me, be with me, become like me. This is what the church was never meant to lose. We were never, ever, ever meant to lose what Jesus said in the Gospels. Follow me, become exactly like me. This is the goal. This is what we've got to pursue and reclaim in the church, apprenticeship. So early in our marriage, Jess and I, uh, her parents had a desire that we would move to the West Coast. And, and um, they even went so far, I think it was in the first couple of years of marriage, we were there over Christmas one year. And they set it up that I would go out uh, with one of these guys uh, who was a good friend in their church. And he did um, sort of touch-up repair and... Um, interior vehicle repair all over the West Coast. And so they set it up that I would be invited to ride along with him for a day. I don't even really remember, like, for whatever reason, I kind of went along with it. I didn't set it up. They set it up. And I kind of got throughout the day, I'm like, oh, okay, they're like, they're trying to set me up with a job here. I'm like, oh, well, this is interesting. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because he did all these sort of intricate repairs, right? And I thought, like, the idea maybe, I think, that they, they thought maybe I would, you know, enjoy the job, which given some of my idiosyncrasies and attention to detail, I think I probably would have enjoyed that job, actually, when I think about it. But 
I didn't totally enjoy that experience. And I, and I probably because it was kind of set up for me. And the fact that like the entire time we were in Vancouver during that season, for like a week and a half, every day was rain and like cloud and dreary. Every single day. I'm not like making that up. Every single day it was just like low-level cloud, rainy. And I'm like, who in the world wants to live here? Like seriously, give me minus 30 and sun. Like, and so I was like, no, this isn't happening. But, you know, the idea from Jess's family, at least I think, was that I would see what this job would entail. And if I really liked it, that then I would apprentice under this guy. That was sort of the gist I got. But you think about it, like, like any plumber or any trade, you apprentice under another, and what's the goal? The goal is not to know a bunch of information one day. The goal is that as a plumber, you're going to be able to plumb a house. Or as an electrician, you're going to be able to like, do an entire house with electrical, right? Not that you would just know all this information. No, it's, it's practical. That's apprenticing. The invitation to discipleship is apprenticing to the way of Jesus. That you may become like him, inside out. Not simply behavioral modification. That, that's, Jesus is not talking about behavioral modification. He's talking about the inward transformation of the heart. That's what he always talked about. And so if our idea of following Jesus is sort of like a hobby that we have or a part of our life that sort of just fits in alongside our other hobbies and our other interests, we can't expect to be like him based on what Jesus tells us. And I, and I think many of us, if we're truthful, I think we probably ask something of ourselves to the effect of like, is transformation really possible? Like, really, do I, do I really, like, we talk a lot about it, talk a lot about transformation, but how does it happen? Or maybe we just go, really, can it happen? Because I'm dealing with stuff in my life that I don't feel like I'm getting transformation and I'm not changing. Well, how does this work? Any of you there with me? Like, where you, you wonder that at times and you ask big, big, big questions, Perhaps we've even designed systems of behaving in the church that have missed the core truth of what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to apprentice to the way of Jesus? You show up, you have attendance, you lift your hands, you sing some songs, you read the Bible once a week together. I, now, I'm, now I'm following the way of Jesus. So, the way that I heard, and I think this is helpful, is to think of your life, just picture your life in the form of a graph. And if you were to plot out the arc of your character trajectory and where it's going, where it's been, just ask yourself then as you mentally picture that, am I becoming more like Jesus? And maybe have you considered this as the goal of your life? That the goal of your life, the, the number one goal is to, that your trajectory of your life, your care, you are becoming more and more like Jesus. And before we talk about what following the way of Jesus is marked by, and there's going to be more, more on that next week, 
We've got to understand the invitation from Jesus and where following the way of Jesus begins. Verse 34, he says, to follow me is to come after me. Deny themselves, he says. You have to be willing to deny yourself. You have to be willing to, take, to walk the same path as me. You've got to be willing to take up your cross. Now, Jesus has just revealed to his, his followers, just in the verses just prior, we didn't read them, he had revealed to them, in very, it says he spoke plainly that he was going to the cross. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to, I'm going to have to walk through all this rejection, and I'm going to die on the cross. It says he spoke plainly to them about it. So this wasn't ambiguous. When, when Jesus is saying to his disciples and his followers, you've got to take up your cross, they knew what he was saying. He had just spoken about it. And so what Jesus is saying clearly is apprenticeship to me is surrendering to my way, denying yourself, living out of a mindset and a heart posture that is in complete opposition to the flow of our culture. This is so radically different. It's not about my individual autonomy. It's not about me. Life doesn't center around me, but rather around a complete desire to completely surrender to the way of Jesus. In verse 36 and verse 37, Jesus says, the most important consideration is our soul. Did you, like, what he says in those verses That is an extraordinary brash claim that Jesus makes here. Like, I'm sure there was other, there's, if if there's people around there as he's saying this, who in the world do you think you are, Jesus, to make this sort of claim? Like, look at what it says there. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? He's saying, the brash claim is, he's saying, the trajectory of our soul, meaning our whole self, our whole life, who we are, is tied to our relationship with Jesus. You will either save your whole self or you will lose your whole self. The determining factor, Jesus says, is your relationship with me. How's your relationship with me? It actually is completely connected to your soul. That's a pretty big claim. That is not 21st century Western Christianity. It's not. It's an astonishing claim. He's saying what hangs in the balance is not the good life. It's not the Canadian dream or the American dream. It's not your financial independence. It's not your accomplishments on this earth. It's not any of that stuff. What is at stake, he says, is your very soul following the way of Jesus Being with him. He says, becoming like him. Being with me, becoming like me. He's saying is the most crucial consideration for your life. Full stop. This is is why I'm I'm wrestling with this. Because I'm going, whoa. This is like a huge claim. So we here, I think, as 21st century autonomous, individualistic, wealthy Canadians. Yep, that's us. That is what's been 
pumped into us. We are individuals, we're autonomous, we're wealthy. We here deny, submit, count the cost, surrender. What do you think? What do you think when you hear that? As, as a Canadian right now, deny, submit, count the cost, surrender. I think we hear that's giving up and that's losing. I'm, I'm going to lose. We're giving up. Why do I have to do that? I don't want to do that. But here's, here's what I think is really important. Don't we have to take into account all the losses and the gains of all possible actions in our lives? So just travel with me down here for a second. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, it says. Everything. There's nothing outside of his control. He's establishing his kingdom on this earth. He's over all things. He's creating a new heavens and a new earth that is to come. Wow! That's the promise. That's the promise of scripture. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You're getting it all. In Christ, you're getting it all. Nothing held back. And now, right now, Peace, righteousness, joy, goodness, all of that. Where does it flow from ultimately? From him. He claims, I've got that all. In you, your joy, in me, your joy will be full. You want peace? You come to me. You want righteousness, right relationship? You come to me. He is the source of all life. That's Jesus' claim. That's a big, big claim. So we got to consider that, and then maybe we go, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I want to live life on my own terms. I want to live my life. I want to set my agenda. I'll, I'll pick and choose when this feels good and right to me. But I don't know. Like this, this apprenticing, like, you mean, yeah. But consider what Jesus is offering. That's a pretty amazing offer. Don't we have to take into account all of the losses and the gains of all possible actions in our lives? Because the loss is great. The gain is also really great. Now I want to draw us back to here and remember this invitation that Jesus says here is open to everyone. The expectations are clear. But the invitation's open to everyone. And Jesus' invitation is incredible. Why? Because it's a teacher of his stature. Only the best of the best would get the invite from Jesus. Jesus was at that level. It's only the best of the best who could expect an invitation from Jesus. And he's inviting fishermen. And now he's inviting everyone. Do we understand? That's, that's incredible what he's doing. I'm sure that shocked people. They're going, what? You're, you're like tax collector, zealot, fisherman. What in the world, Jesus? What are you doing? 
I mean, he left the religious leaders and the scribes dumbfounded. They couldn't have an answer for him. Every time he engaged with them, they went away going, the crowds were amazed at his words. Now, it's very, Mark 8.34, the, the words used there, crowd and disciples. It says, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. That's a very intentional use of words on the part of the gospel writer's part. They all did it. The reason they're using a literary device here. And what they're doing purposely is they want you, as you read that or as you hear that, to go, what group am I in? Where am I at? Am I with the crowd or am I with the disciples? Because the disciples here aren't just the 12. Jesus had a lot bigger group than just the 12. He had a large group that followed him. Now the 12 were the inner group. But there was a lot. So there was a big group of people that were like, yeah, we're following you. But there was also those in the crowd. That's intentional that we read that. Dallas Willard says, the greatest issue in the church today, whether those identifying as Christians will actually become apprentices. Remember, this is an invitation to everyone. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you have it all together. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It doesn't matter up to this point what life you've lived. It doesn't matter. The invitation is, come, be my Talmudin. Be like me. Be with me. This is totally countercultural. It was then, it is now. It's an invitation to fullness of joy. Right? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. Psalm 16. Jesus' presence in our life is fullness of joy. It's abundant life from Jesus' fullness. He said they, that you may have life and life to the full. He says in John 10. Being changed from the inside out. It's not just about external behavioral modification. It's an inward out change, transformation. I'm being changed in my inside by Jesus. He's actually changing who I am. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit can do that. Set free from greed, lust, anger, pride, inadequacy, fear. Yep, that's the promise, but it won't just happen. You know, come to church regularly, read my Bible here and there, be a good person. And you know, my formation to Jesus, this whole thing of formation, it just, it'll just sort of happen. No, it won't. Actually, it won't. This is, we all know that any skill in life, any skill you want to be good at, takes practice. Doesn't matter who you are. It takes practice. To gain skills and be good at something takes practice. And I think we're conditioned to think that way when it comes to our spiritual formation. And I want to actually just, just guard us against that because this is not simply a matter of effort. It's not simply a, okay, I just have to try really hard. Like, I want to do this, so I've just got to like really buckle down. I've got to go home from this, and I've got to like buckle down to be the Talmudine that I'm called to be. And this week, I'm going to get serious about this, and it's going to change for me, and I'm going to be an apprentice. Is that how it works? 
I would say no. It doesn't work that way. But formation to the way of Jesus is about training. It's not about trying, but it is about training. There's a difference in that. This is what I want to end on. So the biggest block of Jesus' teaching is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in one place in the Gospels. Sermon on the Mount, teaching us how to live as apprentices in this new reality that Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And he, and he lays out a whole bunch of stuff there. And it's not idealistic at all. It's not like some high fluting ideal that he's floating like... It's not. It's actually really, really practical. Jesus assumes when you read that, that you're going to have a lot of mess in your life. That we're going to sin. Others are going to sin against us. We're going to want to retaliate against others. We're going to lust after other people that we shouldn't. We're going to want more money than we have or as we need. It assumes all sorts of things. It assumes that you might deal with divorce. All sorts of. It assumes that we're going to walk through mess. But it's also a really high bar that Jesus sets. Because what does he say there? In one section he says, do not be anxious. How's that going? How's that going right now? Do not be anxious about anything. How's that going in this, right now we're in? He says, you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one or love the other. You can't serve both God and money. How's that going But here's the thing. Jesus begins and ends the core of that teaching with the same command. Matthew 5.19, he says, whoever puts these commands into practice. Practice. And then Matthew 7.24-27, this is what we watched, kids, this morning. This is what Jesus says, speaking about that story. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Why? Because you put his words into practice. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It is about practice. The way of Jesus is a way of life. It's it's not simply a set of ideas and beliefs. We need to be kept from that sort of thinking. It is not just about knowing the right info, believing the right stuff. It is a way of life. And that way is going to take a lifetime of practice. You're not going to go from here and you're going to put this into practice and in five days, woo, I'm a new, I'm a new person. It's practice day after day, week after week, year after year. It's, it's incremental, yes, but it's about intentional steps. So I want to I leave you with something, a simple question this week that's full of implications for our lives. It's simple, but it's got lots of implications. 
What does it mean to follow Jesus as his apprentice? That's it. And to help you, I want to I leave you with five passages to read this week. I think we're going to have them up here. I want to I offer these five passages for you to read this week. And as, as you read and ponder them and go through them, ask, how do these inform my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus as an apprentice? How do I read these? How do I see what Jesus is saying here as the call to be his apprentice? All right, so I don't think I need to list them out yet. They're there. Great. By somehow you didn't get those, they'll be up there. You can ask me later. All right, let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are so worthy of our affection, our adoration, our lives, everything. You are, you are so worthy of laying everything down to follow you. You offer it all. Everything is found in you, Jesus. We just, we, we receive that this morning. We proclaim that truth that your word says that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Everything, everything, everything is found in you. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would help us, give us the desire, give us the passion to want to follow you, to want to lay down our lives, to surrender, to, to learn what that means more and more and more. Lord, that we commit to being your disciple, to being your apprentice. We receive you as not just a great rabbi and not just a great teacher, but you are the Son of God. Your words hold such weight and such truth because of what you've done. You are the Son of God. You are the one who saved us. You're the one who redeemed us. And you are Lord over all things. And we say amen to that, Jesus. We bless you.